2: Shop now in store or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
4: and I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, are you a smiley person? Would you would you say that you are smile prone?
4: Mm, I don't think of myself as a smiling person. In fact, you and I were talking about smiling a little earlier, and I typically have sort of a frowny face, even though I'm not frowning. It's just I have turned down lips. Hmm. So uh, I guess others think of me as a frowny face. What about you? Um,
1: I guess I'm, I'm not opposed to smiling. I, I'm I've not seen anti-smile. You do it. I do smile. Um, but it, it, I feel like my relationship with smiles is kind of weird. Uh, like on one on one hand, there's there's always this. I feel like this. There's this temptation in, especially in the United States, uh, bombarded as we are with perfect smiles mm-hmm. uh, in our TV uh, actors and especially in our big Hollywood actors and in all of our advertisements, that you tend to be a little more self conscious about your teeth uh, if you don't have that perfect grin, which can uh, can often make you a little more tight lipped in your smiling and a little more reserved in your flashing of your smile uh which is something to, to take take with us take that idea with us as we uh we go into this uh, this topic today because i was recently uh, reading an, uh, uh, an interview excerpt with um, uh Ricky Gervais mm-hmm. and he was talking uh, he was getting into the whole teeth and of course there's the old trope of uh you know british teeth versus american teeth and 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 I, well, what he was finding and what I've found before too is that in the US, again, there's that huge emphasis on the the perfect smile mm-hmm. and in Britain things are a little more relaxed and normal. You can watch a TV show there and you'll see people with teeth that are refreshingly normal teeth. Uh, you'll see like a gap in somebody's teeth and you'll, you'll, it'll, at first it's, as an American view where you're like, oh, well that's interesting, then you feel a little more uh, re- related to the character because this person seems a little more real. Um, so take all of that with you into, into this topic as we discuss smiles, the science of smiles, what smiles are really doing. Because as uh, is often pointed out, a smile is not just this thing floating in the air. It's not like the, the Cheshire cat. It's something that's attached to our body it's it's right up here on our face, and our face is the communications array for the organism,
4: yeah, and the smile there's so much more to the smile than you would think, yeah, so we're going to dive into that. Uh, this is a statistic that is thrown around a lot that kids smile four hundred times a day, and us adults on average smile only twenty times a day,
1: okay, well, that makes sense because I feel like with children, especially the very young children, it's all just a pendulum between. You know, absolute terror and unhappiness and just, just, and then just unbridled happiness on the other end. So, you know, they're swinging through the pendulum. They're also crying more during the course of the day. They're also feeling heartbroken more during the course of the day. And humans have a lot more, uh, um, humans, adults. I keep making (laughs) that mistake, uh, in conversations. Uh, us adult humans have a lot more nuance in the way that we react emotionally to the world.
4: Well, a lot of it too is mimicking your environment and learning these social cues. We'll talk more about this in terms of mirror neurons in a second, but I did want to point out that uh, babies actually smile in the womb. And previous to 4D scanners, which produced, you know, 3D Mm -hmm. images that move in real time, it was thought that babies smiled only after learning the behavior about six weeks after they were born. But it was Dr. Stuart Campbell who was the first to capture these images of babies smiling in the womb. And his idea for this lag of after they're born, this uh, six-week lag of smiling, is that in the womb, it's safe, it's warm, so you're able to leisurely float about without a worry and perhaps smile. Yeah, of course you'd smile in there, right? Right, sure. But he's saying that once you're born you know, all of a sudden you're just bombarded with all the stimuli. And so that's a smile and relaxation is sort of the furthest things from a child or baby's mind at that point. And that made me think about when we've talked about uh, children's brains, in particular babies being soaked in neurotransmitters, which mm-hmm. are ferrying around all the data that they're taking in. And, and that makes sense to me, you know, yeah. because that first six weeks, it's just trying to make sense of all these different sensations. So smile's going to have to wait.
1: You know, on the, uh, the subject of smiles, I also found some stats about uh, world smiles. Uh, and uh, they, this particular uh, uh, study I was looking at found that um, countries in East Asia, uh, Japan and Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand and the Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, this is where you would find the most smiles per capita. Um, and then, uh, wherever, as if you looked at Northern European countries, uh, Scandinavian countries and the Eastern Bloc countries, uh, you would see uh, considerably less smiles, like the least smiles per capita in those areas.
4: That's interesting because I was recently at a birthday party for a kid and there was a large uh contingent of German parents there. Ah. And I noticed that in the conversations that I had with the parents that um you know you begin to notice your own behavior in in, in this group situation that I was doing the smiling head nodding thing a lot more mm-hmm. than the German parents were because I think that for me socialized in America that's a cue for I'm listening to you I'm Agreeing, I'm encouraging you. Yes,
1: yeah, that little voice that comes on your head that says, "All right, grin and nod, grin and nod." they just convey that you you are listening and you are in some on some level agreeing with what they're saying, even if you are just completely tuning out.
4: Okay, so when I'm grinning and nodding, let's take a, a closer look at what is actually going on. This is sort of like a smile 101 when it comes to our brains and our muscles. So if you see something that pleases you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have these neuronal signals that travel from the cortex of your brain to the brainstem. Now, the brainstem is the most primitive part of our brain, right? From there, the cranial muscles carry the signal further towards the smiling muscles in your face, in particular something called the zygomaticus major muscles, and that draws up the corners of your mouth. So once they contract, a positive feedback loop goes back to the brain and reinforces this feeling of uh, joy or pleasure or whatever it is that has made you smile. Now, we have a lot more insight into a true blue smile. This is the crinkling of the the eyes kind of smile uh, because of someone named Guillaume Benjamin Duchenne. It's called the Duchenne smile.
1: I'm glad you tackled Duchenne's name because I was puzzling over that one earlier.
4: I slaughtered his his first name for sure. But Duchenne, I think, uh, you know, not too bad. But he did experiments where he would actually zap single muscles all over the face with electrodes to try to figure out all these different expressions and emotions that we show. And that's how he came to figure out that there's a true blue smile that you see.
1: Yeah, one of uh, 60 different expressions that he... uh electrocuted into place and then photographed. And uh, actually, if you go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com, uh, you will see that we have uploaded uh, a gallery of some of these images, not all 60, because I think that would just be a bit much, mm-hmm. but some of these images so you can see what we're talking about, because they're brilliant. There's this one uh, older gentleman that is the test subject in most of these photos. And uh, it's uh, at, at once hilarious And horrifying to uh, to see his face contorted uh, via electricity uh, into these different uh, emotional states.
4: Because his hair's all kind of mussed up anyway. So, you know, he's got this terrifying smile spreading over his face, and his hair just kind of looks like it's a bit on end. Uh, And then you, you know, you see the electrodes. Uh, So, yes, it's very interesting stuff. But that's how Duchenne figured out what this smile, this true blue smile, was because, again, it's that zygomatic major muscle. That's turning up the lips, but also you have this orbicularis oculi muscle, and that raises the cheeks and forms those crow's feet around the eyes. I think everybody kind of knows what that looks like, right? You have an idea in your head right now. I always think about my grandmother, you know, and her very sweet and joyous smiles and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, and then the uh, the eventual smile lines that you hear about in people's faces. Yeah, you know, they say, oh, don't don't laugh too much because then you'll have smile lines when you get older.
4: So there's this idea that you see something it pleases you, but there's also the idea that you're talking to someone, they're smiling at you, and what do you do? You smile back.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like I encountered that version of smiling more than like spontaneous by myself smiling. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm by myself and I'm reading something that I'm enjoying, I mean, uh, occasionally I may laugh out loud. But for the most part, I'm, I'm probably not smiling, I'm thinking. Maybe I should, I should experiment on myself with a camera or something, but.
4: I'm smiling really creepily at you right now just to see if you'll smile. That's
1: not a creepy smile. That seems like now it's a creepy smile. Okay.
4: Well, the thing is, this is what I think is interesting about um, when you smile at a person who's smiling back at you. uh, It's because those neurons that fire both when we observe Mm -hmm. and when we take part in, in action, those are called mirror neurons. So when we smile, mirror neurons simulate our own smiling so on one level you can't not smile
1: yeah it's it's an innate instinct to imitate each other yeah we see that smile and then the smile forms on our own face uh it's a you know it, it ties into a synchronicity of our body our actions even the way we speak to each other mm-hmm. um you know like the, the the whole the old idea that you know you're you're someone who's grown up in the south and you don't really talk with a southern accent until you're pulled over by a southern cop and then your voice becomes a little. <laughs> suddenly, there are all these southern inflections that you thought you had abandoned or outgrown. Uh, I find myself doing that a lot. Not not being pulled over by southern cops all the time, but I'll mm-hmm. be I'll be talking to somebody and I'll fall into some of their speech patterns, and and then I'll start freaking out, thinking, "Oh my goodness, they think I'm some sort of a um, a complete nut who's only able to communicate with people by mimicking the person he's communicating with."
4: Well, I think it's just showing that you're getting the person you're trying to connect with them. Yeah,
1: I mean, right? that's that's what the, the research here shows is that I'm, I'm not. Crazy! It shows that that this is part of our normal interactions with people. That when we engage with someone in conversation, uh, we make eye contact. We have to go in sync with each other. It's kind of a uh, almost kind of a Star Trek mind meld that's happening, except in, in a very real sense. That's uh, that's more amazing than any fantasy.
4: Well, I think it points back to this exquisite external stimuli machine mm-hmm. that we have within us. And Charles Darwin, he uh, actually said, "Hmm, you know, I mean, besides." You know, being known for evolution and biology, he was actually one of the early experimental psychologists. And he thought, you know, maybe these facial expressions don't come from within. Maybe they are external to us. So it's not just us broadcasting our mental state of mind. And he thought maybe these expressions can determine your mental state. So this is something we now know as facial feedback hypothesis. And he wrote the 19, or excuse me, the 1872 book, The Expression of emotions in man and animals, which came to that conclusion that the universality of facial expressions owed to the evolutionary origin of it. So this all turns out to be pretty spot on, and there are a lot of studies that support that. And one of probably the most well-known studies, there's several variations on Mm -hmm. this, is a study of pencils stuck in the mouth, in which the person has to then evaluate fake smiles versus real smiles yes and,
1: and I challenge anyone who's listening and not driving a car or doing anything remotely dangerous that uh, has a pencil around mm-hmm. a clean pencil uh, you know if, if that pencil has germs on it that's your your own business but if you put that pencil and hold it between your teeth try to smile and you will find that your smiling abilities are somewhat uh, uh, hindered by the actually
4: object. too and if you take that um, that pencil and you put it uh in a vertical position mm-hmm. so that it's just under your lip that will actually form a frown oh which you know again that's a a different pencil studying many variations on this, but the one I'm thinking about was conducted by social psychologist Paula Neidenthal. Yes. And it was a mimicking study. Again, it was this idea that Darwin was saying, hey, it's not necessarily internal. It can come externally. And so she had one group of participants asked to look at these photos of people smiling Mm -hmm. and determine whether or not it was real or fake and hold that pencil in their mouth. And then the other group was asked to identify uh, real and fake smiles, but they didn't have the pencil in their mouth. Well, okay, of course, it turned out that the people who had the pencil in their Mouths had a harder time identifying the true blue smiles because that whole mechanism of their mirror neurons and and their ability to mimic that smile was interrupted.
1: Ah, So the ability to mimic the smile influences our power to understand them.
4: And our power to feel that emotion. So they didn't get the emotional lift that their counterparts who were not hindered and, and could identify a real smile got when they looked at that true blue smile.
1: It's another, uh, uh, all this information is, is, is just another great argument for that mind-body connection that we've talked yeah. about and again, again, the, the idea that we're not this brain that's sealed up in this body suit. We are, and we're not this rider on this horse. We're a centaur. We're this, uh, this conjoined being of brain and body and, uh and to the you know the quote that I mentioned earlier which actually came from Paul Niedenthal we're not these uh, these magic Cheshire cat uh, grins that are just floating in the middle of space mm-hmm. that it that grin is attached to our body it's a part of our body and it's it's part of this facial communication system that we have
4: yeah it's telling your brain something about the world and how mm-hmm. you should feel all right let's take a quick break and when we get back we are talking about smiles happiness life expectancy and chopsticks
1: Yes.
2: All
4: right, we are back. Does flashing a grin make you happier? Is the question, and could you live longer?
1: Yes, because that's the the big question that sort of arises out of what we've discussed so far. Um, we've talked about the the way that, that it is. Uh, the smile is our as part of our communications array. It's a part of our our, our means of. Uh, of communing with other individuals who we're talking to about sharing things that are smile worthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to what extent does it have um, a positive impact on longevity and just sort of mental health in general?
4: Especially when you consider that smiling um, in studies has shown to reduce cortisol levels and so stress hormone levels and increase endorphins that feel good hormone
1: now, how can you study this, right? Well, one way, of course, is to look at older pictures of somebody, particularly uh, pictures in, say, a yearbook or baseball card photos. Both of these factor into a couple of different studies that we're uh, about to discuss. As far as the yearbook goes, researchers at DuPaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, analyzed the college yearbook photos of 655 alumni and ranked the smiles in those photographs on a scale of two, which is your complete gloomy Gus, angsty teenager smile, to a full 10, which is your complete electrodes attached to the face, grin beaming from ear to ear smile. Okay. And the participants in these studies were also asked a series of questions about their relationship t- status, their divorce history. And, uh, and the non-smilers were uh, were actually more likely, it turned out, to be divorced than the people who smiled the most. Now, then they also did some follow-up on this, right? Uh, they performed a second round of smile rankings, this time recruiting 61 adults, 55 years or older, who were willing to hand over a handful of photographs from when they were ages 5 to 22. And once again, the people who smiled the most in their photographs were least likely to be divorced.
4: Okay, and the University of California, Berkeley, they also studied a, it was a 30 year longitudinal study of yearbook photos of women who had the best, you know, truest smiles. Uh-huh. And they found the same sort of thing, that after a 30-year study of those people who had those true blue smiles, that women who smiled the the most in those photos had the happier lives, happier marriages, and fewer setbacks. Hmm. Which leads me to the baseball card study, which is very similar. This is a 2010 Wayne State University research project examining the baseball card photos of major league players in 1952. And players who didn't smile in their pictures lived an average of only 72.9 years, While players with beaming smiles, they lived an average of 79.9 years. So what this data suggests is that smiling increased life expectancy. Now, some people will look at these studies and say, okay, yeah, but in terms of uh, cultural responses to smiling, men are sometimes not encouraged to smile. So perhaps that person was happy, but they just didn't smile. Or perhaps the person smiling was thinking about something uh, that really sort of, Made them feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Maybe they were thinking about their children, and so at that very moment, they got a picture of what that person's frame of mind was. But that wasn't necessarily true for how they conducted the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, there's plenty of, of room to pick this apart. Uh, you know, saying there because there are a lot of people who uh, were significantly happier after they got out of high school. For instance, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who for whom. Everything after high school was just a backward gaze to the the, the brilliance that was their senior year. I mean, right. and then when you start to your point, when you start looking uh, about the the differences internationally and culturally, uh, you know, how would the study have looked if it had it been conducted in Thailand? How would it uh, look had it been conducted in uh, a Scandinavian country?
4: So one study that that's far uh, harder to pick apart has to do with stress and chopsticks.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Now. Unlike the pencil scenario, where you stick a pencil in your mouth and suddenly you're you're inhibited uh, from smiling, uh, you can of course take two chopsticks and you can force a smile. <laughs> um, I, I've never done this. I, was this a thing? Is this like a horsing around with chopsticks kind of gag, or is this just something they thought up for the experiment? I'm i I think it
4: was just for the experiment okay. because what they could do with these chopsticks is um, they could manipulate more muscles. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 169 participants whose muscles were m- manipulated with chopsticks into a neutral expression, a standard smile, or a Duchenne smile, because that way they could test all these different stress reactions against those mimicking neuronal uh, signals that were going up to the brain, right? Mm-hmm. So in addition to the chopstick placement, some were explicitly instructed to smile. Then, of course, this is where the stress comes in. They were subjected to a series of stress-inducing, multitasking activities, which they struggled to perform, of course, because they have chopsticks in their face, right. uh, while continuing to hold chopsticks. Um, and then subjects' heart rates and self-reported stress levels were monitored throughout. So... Those who were instructed to smile recovered from these stressful activities with lower heart rates than those who held neutral expressions. And those with Duchenne smiles were the most relaxed of all, with the most positive effects. And those with four smiles held only by the chopsticks also reported more positive feelings than those who didn't smile at all. So, I mean, the the big story here is that um, neutral expressions, they had more stress or they, they seem to uh not be able to weather this multitasking uh, with the lower heart rates, right? Mm-hmm. But those with that true blue smile, that Duchenne smile, they, they have sailed away on this
1: and, and and even the the fake smiles actually had a positive influence and and that's really um, telling as well and and interesting because you tend to think of the fake smile. <laughs> like when you encounter like that genuine fake smile on somebody's face, mm-hmm. uh, you um. You often think you're like, what kind of monster is on the other side of it? What kind of just complete emotional blank slate am I actually having a conversation with? And in reality, here's this person who's, I mean, they're wearing the mask, but the mask is wearing them, you know?
4: I know. I was just thinking about two examples of that. One is the beauty queen smile.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah, Which can
4: be a terrifying smile also because, you know, there's a large amount of drag makeup and gender performance going on. And the second thing is the mayor from the nightmare before Christmas. Do you remember this? He had a frown and he had a smile. Oh yes. <laughs> and so it would revolve around depending on you know who he what constituent he was talking to, uh, but yeah, I mean this is this is the interesting thing about it. even that terrifying fake smile is going to give you a little bit of a lift. And here is an, yet another study about smiling, and this one has to do with pain. Uh, it turns out that people who frown during an unpleasant procedure. They report feeling more pain than those who do not. This is a study that was published in the Journal of Pain. And what happened is that the researchers applied heat to the forearms of 29 participants who were asked to either make unhappy, neutral, or relaxed faces during the procedure. And lo and behold, those who exhibited negative expressions reported being in more pain than the others.
1: That reminds me of uh, one of the yoga classes I used to go to back when I, I got to go to yoga uh would always wait until we were in some sort of uh, you know complicated balancing scenario mm-hmm. and uh, and and we were all standing out there no doubt with kind of strained faces uh going on and, and she would encourage everyone to smile like if you said if, you're, if you can't smile you're you're working too hard at it and so you know, you'd, you'd force a smile while, uh, you know, wrapped in eagle pose or something. And, and it would have this, I, f- I feel like it would have this strengthening effect, at least on me. Like I'm, suddenly I'm smiling and I can actually make it through the pose a little longer than if I'm just sitting there kind of, uh, you know, grimly trying to, to force myself into this position.
4: Right. It had a calming effect. Yeah. And so that's what we see over and over again in these studies. Grin and bear it. Grin and Barrett, nice. Which,
1: incidentally, was the uh, the title of that study we were just talking about with the uh, chopsticks. Grin and Barrett, the influence of manipulated positive facial expression on the stress response.
3: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Perfect home, sweet home.
1: So we talked about the divide between adults and children as far as smiles goes, but but how about the uh, gender divide?
2: Well,
4: if, if there are any women out there listening to this and you've ever had uh, someone tell you to smile, probably an older gentleman, then you know what I'm talking about here in terms of what is sometimes expected of women—that they're going to be friendly, that they're going to smile—and so. You tend to think of women smiling more, and you often see studies that say that women do. But then you have someone named Marianne LaFrance. She is a professor of psychology at Yale. And she says that wide cultural, ethnic, and other differences suggest that the sex difference is not something that is hardwired. So it's not a function of being male or female, but that there's a cultural overlay that sort of tells the tells us about these rules about smiling. And she did. She and co-authors Elizabeth Palak of Yale and Marvin Hecht examined 186 research reports about smiling and gender and came up with some very interesting information. First, they found that women do smile more than men, but the difference is really modest.
1: Yes, and she also found that when uh, when occupying similar work and social status, the gender differences in the rate of smiling tends to disappear. So yeah, everyone's working in the same pit or the same office, then you're going to see uh, you're not going to see as much of this social contract in play. That, that not in the same way that it would be outside of the workplace. Well,
4: in, the, in those instances, the the playing field is level because mm-hmm. they occupy the same position of power. So it's not necessary for women to.
1: To put on that fake smile.
4: Yeah, Yeah. to try to ameliorate every situation. Um, another finding was that the rate at which men and women differ in how much they smile is greater in the United States and Canada than in other parts of the world like England and Australia. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., there's a greater sex difference among Caucasians in smiling, but this difference uh, virtually disappears among African Americans. And in terms of age differences, teens show the largest sex difference in smiling. After that, the sexes converge on their smile rate. So that's this idea that teens are really Very preoccupied with gender roles at that point and performing those gender roles. So perhaps that's why that is the biggest difference that's seen.
1: So the guys are giving in more to this idea that, oh, you need to be a little more macho and not smile. Yeah, I'm tough. I'm angsty. I'm very deep, man. Whereas uh, the females are more, uh, feel more pressure to be that smiley happy creature.
4: Yeah. And another finding this was really pretty fascinating. The largest sex differences in smiling occurred when men and women thought they were being observed. Ah. So, again, that's this idea that um, you know, if you're being observed, then you're going to fulfill whatever social role you think you're supposed to be playing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, perhaps then that's when you see Women smiling more because that's what women do, in and and the bigger social contract that we all are sort of signing on to.
1: And as we've talked about the teenager brain before, and our um, you know, we did a whole episode on that. Check that out in our archives. Uh, we talked about just how far more important the social world is to the teenager, because you have a, an organism that is has evolved to the point where it's supposed to be branching off and finding a new tribe to live in and fit in with, and mm-hmm. therefore it's it's to the to the species side of us it is it is literally life and death even though uh socially just in high school it's not life and death so um so you can imagine how this uh uh the, the pressure to smile or not to smile would be even greater in, in uh, say, a, a high school lunchroom.
4: Well, yeah, especially if you thought that your smile might be rejected, right? Because yeah. we talked about how um, the, the pain was actually felt more in the teenage brain. And we've talked about how pain, um, in terms of emotion and physical pain, are both processed by the amygdala. So, um, yeah, I can see that. So I think what this spells out to everybody is you got to smile. You don't have a
2: choice. Yes. Yeah,
1: you will smile. Don't fight it. In fact, you really should probably be going in the opposite direction, trying to smile more, faking it till you make it, but also just faking it in general. Um, now, I, on, the, on the subject of fake uh, smiles, uh, Marianne LaFrance, who we mentioned earlier, um, I was uh, reading a Wired.com interview with her, and she pointed out that uh, the problem is that in some situations we're just too preoccupied with other details mm-hmm. that we're just not going to notice. Uh you know, it's like all right, somebody's smiling, they're talking at me, fine. Uh you you just let it pass. But if you're actually able to focus in on that grin and it actually becomes the thing that you're you're thinking about and contemplating, then you can more often than not see through uh the fakeness.
4: Well, and we've talked about micro expressions before, the split second expressions across yeah. the face. And so we we pick up on those, like you say, if you're really paying attention, if you're not distracted. So you could have a smile, but you could also have a wince in there. Yeah. So it was really important for us to be able to pick up on, on those really subtle hints about what someone's feeling, because a lot of the way that we communicate is nonverbal.
1: So here's a question. Should we all have permanent smiles inscribed on our faces? Because this has apparently been a trend to some degree in uh, South Korea, with uh, individuals getting this uh, this perma smile etched into their face, K- kind of a, a mild, like little, just a little upturn, not like a full-on Joker face. Right. But uh, but but the idea being you'll look happier all the time. And really, when you look at the science, it begins to make a certain sort of sense. Like if you'd asked me beforehand, hey, would you want to have a smile inscribed in your face? I would say no, and I would still say no. But I would at least now be able to say, well. I wouldn't do it personally, but I can see what the benefits would be.
4: I don't know. I think that it would be really confusing
1: I mean, if it was, in, in
4: seriously sad situations if yeah. someone was staring back at me with a little smile.
1: Well, to, yeah, because to your point, the social contract. And sometimes the social contract is saying, do not smile. Do not Yeah, laugh.
4: at this very moment, yeah. do the opposite of that, please.
1: Yeah, so if you look at it that way, it would be a definite problem. You'd really have to be in the right uh, occupation. Like maybe newscaster, like not... Not like a full like twenty four uh, hour newscaster, but mm-hmm. more like a, a local newscaster. I
4: think like the Good Morning America, yes, you know, like happy perfect. news person. Yeah,
1: where yeah. even you've uh, encountered it before, like they're even delivering kind of down news, but they still keep that smile on their face. And yeah. it's a little, it can be a little creepy because then we're back in the area of you're using a smile when you really shouldn't be, and uh, and it's really skewing the message you're trying to relate.
4: Well, see, that's the Botox problem. Oh, right? ah, yes. Like you, there are some applications of Botox that actually will inhibit the person to use the muscles to frown. And, you know, by the way, those people report being happier, <laughs> uh, perhaps because they can't frown. But again, you can't take the social cue off of their face and really know what they're thinking or responding to.
1: Right. And then it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. If, if you were the, to whatever degree you were inhibited from smiling. that inhibits your ability to sync with someone else's smile, Mm -hmm. to understand the emotions uh, behind behind their facial uh, situation.
4: All right. So think about that the next time you engage in a smiling session with your fellow human. Yeah. Do you see the crinkle in their eyes, or is it just the zygomatic major muscle playing? Let us know.
1: Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us in all the normal places. Uh, you want to see that smile gallery we were talking about, head to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the mothership. That's where we put all the podcast episodes, and I, and I mean all of them, not just the ones that are available on iTunes and wherever you go to get it. We have all of them on the site. You can also find our blog posts. You can find our videos. Uh, you can find links to all of our social accounts, and you can just go to those social accounts outright. We are uh, generally going at it on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Uh, we are on Google+, Plus. and, hey, uh, we also have that YouTube channel. Mind stuff show.
4: And you can always craft an email and send it to mind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit housestuffworks.com.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here and it's transparent.